Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, covering politics outside the bubble. So we've been spending, we're right in the heat of the presidential primary season, and we're obsessed at CJR about how politics is being covered, how it's being covered this cycle versus last cycle, and whether there's any improvements made to some of the missteps that journalists made in covering the 2016 election. A lot of this has to do with getting enmeshed in different narratives and relying too much on access from the campaigns and siding with one campaign or another. And and we've talked a lot to the people who are involved in this, but haven't pulled back so much to talk to people who are sort of observing it with a passion, but observing it from the outside. And Art Cullen, I think, is one of those people. And I'm thrilled to have Art on. Art's the editor and co-owner of the Storm Lake Times, which is a family-owned newspaper published in Northwest Iowa. Art in 2017 was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for editorial writing for a series of columns he did on agribusiness. Art, welcome. Thanks. It's great to be on. So, gosh, you know, Iowa, the Iowa caucuses feel like 3,000 years ago, (laughs) but it wasn't. Does it feel to you like the circus sort of came and then left? What, What did you notice this year about the sort of coverage of the primary season versus what it's been like in previous cycles? Well, yeah, on uh, Monday, February 3rd, it was utter madness in Iowa. And then it was still utter madness Tuesday morning because the results weren't available, obviously. But within a couple days, it was back to normal. Uh, We were paying attention to the school board and the county board of supervisors and the city council. And uh, we weren't paying attention to journalists coming in from... Norway, France, Italy, uh, all over the world to storm like Iowa to see what was going on in the middle of nowhere. And so, yeah, there was a, a huge letdown uh, after the caucuses. And I guess the main thing I noticed from, and I've been, I've lived in Iowa almost my whole life except for college, and mainly in rural Iowa, and I've witnessed the Iowa caucuses since 1980. And, uh, the main thing I know is the sheer size of the press corps mm-hmm. and the amount of resources devoted to horse race journalism. And it strikes me that if half those resources were devoted to actual reporting on health care or the climate crisis or agricultural trade with China, um, uh, we'd have a much better understanding of our politics. And you thought the 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 sort of amount of press people there this year was was noticeably more than in 2016? Oh, definitely. Um, for one thing, uh, the uh, the Democratic campaign sort of flew over rural America. It didn't really stop uh-huh. uh, in the last cycle, so the the press just wasn't here because Hillary wasn't here. Right. Donald Trump, uh, you know, mainly did big airport rally, you know, airport city rallies. Uh, that's what I call them, airport rallies. You, you go to Des Moines where there's an airport and you have a big rally. You don't go to Storm Lake, right. <laughs> right. a town of about ten to 15,000 people. Right. Uh, this year, however, uh, the candidates started coming. John Delaney was first uh, well over a year ago. And... Uh, the media started following when Elizabeth Warren showed up last January, 
and uh, I, I would guess there were at least 50 National Press Corps people on that first on her first visit to Storm Lake, and they, they were just jammed into this room. And pretty much all of the campaigns came to the Times, to your office. Yeah, I'd I'd uh, I'd guess we interviewed probably 15 of the 25 candidates, mm. uh, notably Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Joe Biden. And uh, Pete Buttigieg, I interviewed Pete about four times. Uh huh. And you ultimately, the paper ultimately endorsed Warren. Right. Fat lot of good that did her. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, you know, not over yet. So much for the New York Times and the Storm Lake Times and the Des Moines Register. Yeah, I want to. Um, I loved your the wording of the endorsement. Let's see if I could find it here. Oh, you said we love Joe Biden. Bernie Sanders thunders the truth. Pete Buttigieg has shown an amazing ability in Iowa to bring people together. But Warren came across as a person of warmth, integrity, and intellect. Let me go Let me go back, though, to something you said about the horse race coverage. So you had these, you know, this army of press people come in. I assume a lot right. of them wanted to talk to you or talk to your newspaper. And what they were interested in, it sounds to me like you, your impression was that they were interested pretty much in who's up, who's down, who's going to win, who they, who's going to be supported, as opposed to what? What were the issues that you think they should have been focused on? Well, the two main issues with likely Iowa caucus goers uh, in any number of polls and exit polls was, uh, number one, health care, uh, cost and accessibility, and number two was climate change. Mm. So is it any surprise, really, that Bernie Sanders is on a roll? Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, those are also the two top issues with Nevada caucus goers. Mm-hmm. And they probably were with, in New Hampshire, I'm not sure. But but yet the national, pro- how could Bernie Sanders roll up this kind of uh, support uh, when Elizabeth Warren and all these other people have invested so heavily in Iowa? Pete Buttigieg, you'd bump into him every time you turned around. Uh-huh. And here Bernie, you know, won the state, and he blew him out in Nevada, and he's going to, he took in Storm Lake, which is a meatpacking town, heavily Latino, there was a special Latino caucus, he took every single one of the votes at that caucus. Oh, that's Bernie amazing. Did. Every single one of them, and, and they all said health care. How many people were in the caucus? 105. He took wow. 105, all 105 votes. Pete's people showed up and just walked out of the room. They realized <laughs> they were beat. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it is. And it was all based on health care and, of course, immigration status. Right. And they believe Bernie's going to, any Democrat will take the target off their back. But they really believe in Medicare for all. And undocumented people believe that they can get in on Medicare for all. And so they're thinking about their extended families. What was the vote? Act. What was the what was the total vote in in Storm Lake? How did it shake out between the candidates? Bernie took how much? I think Pete won Storm Lake. Oh really? Huh. And, yeah, and uh, he put on a very, you know, it's just it, it was so close. It was like right. the rest of Iowa. It yeah. was all bunched up. With, yeah. Uh, and I it was within a few votes. Uh-huh. Uh, and Sanders, I think, might have been second. Did you get did you get grief for the Warren endorsement? No, huh? Again, newspaper editorials are only important in the minds of the editors. Yeah. And in the minds of the cable news talking heads. Yeah. 
that it obviously look Elizabeth Warren got more endor- newspaper endorsements than anybody, and she's running in what a solid fifth or sixth place. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned you made the point that you've been in this business for a long time, and and this thing about the horse race quality of the coverage is also drives me crazy. And you know it's something we complained bitterly about after 2016. And the news organization said they were going to think about it and try to do better. And I think this, I mean, we don't, it's not over yet in 2020, but the early indications are that, that they've, they've learned nothing about this. Do, do you sort of bemoan this turn for journalism or do you think it's cyclical? What do you make of it and what's gonna, what is it going to take to sort of get people to correct their, their thinking? Well, uh, you know, for one thing, it's important how we distinguish journalism, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of cable news chatter that sets our conversation agenda, uh, but it's not really journalism, and they're the ones that are setting the expectations of what viewers and readers want. And uh, it, so newspapers can go off and be virtuous uh, and cover the the issues like we try to. But in the end, if readers demand horse race journalism, they're going to get it. Is that true at your paper, too? Not as much, but it certainly is. Just because we don't cover, our motto normally is, if it didn't happen in Buena Vista County, it didn't happen. Right. Uh, And so we don't normally cover politics unless a candidate comes into the city, comes into our town. And so we... We focus a lot more on agricultural issues, and in fact, what I what we did is, in each of those interviews, I buttonholed every candidate on uh, how agriculture is right now a leading contributor to climate change, and it could be a major solution to climate change through carbon sequestration. And as a result, every candidate came out with a pretty comprehensive, resilient agriculture plan mm. as part of their climate change plans. Mm-hmm. Try to get that into the New York Times or Washington Post unless you lead it with uh, Pete Buttigieg thinks it'll get him up by five points. When the most important issue, you know, Australia's burning, California's burning, and we can remove a trillion tons of carbon from the atmosphere through different uh, forms of agriculture. And you wouldn't know it by reading the journalism uh, or watching the cable news shows. Yeah, and your point about the cable news is good. I mean, it's true that they're much more sort of horse racy and inside politics. And it's not really journalism. It's not journalism, but TV is where most people get their information. Right, right. But Chris Matthews ranting on about Bernie Sanders and how he's a cancer on the republic is not journalism, in my view. No, I agree. So uh, do you think, because, you know, I I follow the the campaign and and I follow politics, but I'm also a resident of New York City, and I care. I I live here, right? I'm just like you live in Storm Lake. I live somewhere, and I really care about these issues, and I'm not getting them. The New York Times, you know, for for one, doesn't really cover New York City, and (laughs) and the tabloids are doing their own thing. Is it just a matter, is it a business issue where local news for a newspaper like that just doesn't scale, so it's not worth their time? It's unclear whether it scales at this level, right? Um, we are in a the newspaper industry is in a death spiral, and that's the real issue uh, for us is is how are we going to survive? 
uh, we had a $2,000 profit last year, and then a week later, as we were going to buy a bottle of champagne and some hot dogs, and a week later, we got a notice that our health insurance premiums are going up 24% for a second year in a row. Is there any wonder we would endorse Elizabeth Warren or support Bernie mm-hmm. Sanders? Uh, that's $42,000, $42, 10 employees, 42000 bucks. We started out the year 40000 in the hole. We can't sell $10 digital subscriptions to make up for that. Yeah. And Walmart isn't going to make up for it by running more inserts with us. Yeah. So what do we do? Facebook and Google haven't offered me a grant lately. Yeah. We should note that your brother, uh, John, is the publisher of the paper, or your son, Tom, is a right. reporter. And know. he's on Social Security. He works for free. <laughs> you know, that's the state of American journalism. I'm making that point only to, to, to yeah. focus people on how much skin you have in this game. What's your next try? I mean, what, what, do, you, how, how do you what do you throw well, out I'm there? I'm praying that we can get a grant from somebody. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but there isn't a—I can get a grant to write, go to Mexico and write a book. Uh-huh. But I can't get a grant to cover the Buena Vista County Board of Supervisors, which is what we won the Pulitzer Prize for, mm-hmm. and about surface water pollution and agriculture. Right. And it's very difficult to uh, get the kind of clicks that you need to satisfy digital advertisers yeah. on a story about nitrate pollution in the Raccoon River. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but so there's... And uh, there, all these little newspapers now are for sale to chains, and they're going to all get bought up. All these independent newspapers, and there's going to be more and more news deserts. Yeah. And so, forgive us if you know we have to forgive ourselves, I guess, if we pander to horse race journalism. But but it, but it just struck me that think of if if we could have just a few pennies that fall off of MSNBC's desk to cover the Buena Vista County Board of Supervisors. Yeah. Uh, or if MSNBC would devote half of Chuck Todd and Chris Matthews' resources to paying attention to climate change. Mm-hmm. Or the issue, why Ber- why is Bernie Sanders winning? Because of Medicare for All, and nobody wants to admit it. Yeah. They think he's crazy. <laughs> I wrote a piece um, last week about this sort of knee-jerk dismissal of Bernie. They don't get why Donald Trump was elected. There was a great piece today in the Washington Post, actually, uh, so I'm contradicting myself already, uh, about the two types of populism. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people do not do not understand why Bernie Sanders is winning, and it's because he's, present, he's actually met real voters and is presenting real solutions to them. And Donald Trump was doing the same thing. He mm-hmm. just... He just sold him a bill of goods. Mm-hmm. How much do your readers want national political news from you? Very little. They mm-hmm. want, if Elizabeth Warren comes to town, they they expect that we'll have a picture and mm-hmm. a, and a story about her. Yeah. Uh, they they do not expect that we would have analysis of uh, Pete Buttigieg's position on right. uh, racial affairs. Right. But it, he, when he marches in the Fourth of July parade, uh, we had all sorts of pictures of him. But in a column uh, uh, that I wrote, and maybe you know a hundred people read it, uh, that's not what we're here for. Right. Do you think what you witnessed there, in terms of what the candidate said and how it resonated with people in Storm Lake, and now I'm doing exactly what we're not supposed to be doing here, 
what we spent this whole <laughs> talking about. Who's going to win this freaking election? Yeah, right. Art, I mean, do, you, do you have a prediction? Every candidate I've talked to, J.D. Shulton, who's running for Congress, uh, Teresa Greenfield, who's running for the U.S. Senate, and I guess Nancy Pelosi, although I haven't talked to her, said that Bernie is not a drag on, on the down-ballot races. Uh, they all embrace him. Yeah. So it's only the people in D.C. who believe he's a drag on the down ballot races. Yeah. <laughs> but they're shaping the national opinions. Right. I mean, this whole business of covering the horse race and the, the inside politics and ignoring these these more fundamental issues that people care about, I think, has contributed to a lack of trust in journalism. And now now I'm looking at the coronavirus. And so here right. here is a story where... Getting accurate, local, actionable information is so important to me, right? I mean, I, I want to know not only— um, If you're in Seattle, what, what clinic do I go to? What yeah. clinic do I go to? What hospitals are better equipped than yeah. others? You know, who are the local—who are the local— officials sort of running the operation here you know i want to, i want a sort of real time sense of like when they're what are the case, you know when do they get cases what are the diagnoses and all this stuff i don't the one thing i don't want to hear about frankly is how trump is screwing this up i, I just don't i mean it, yeah. it's it's important i guess but it's not what i really need right now and i i mean i right. actually think this is a this will be a really interesting test of of journalism and people's ability to do the jobs that they're supposed to be doing. How are you guys covering it there? Is there any, are there any cases in Iowa? No. Uh, and so we haven't really covered it except, uh, so again, we take the Iowa angle, which is that, in fact, I'm, I just, I've, been do, I've been doing a lot of reporting on it just today and I'm doing an editorial that uh, all these viruses start in normally in hogs also in poultry, and I guess this one we believe, although we're not sure because of a lack of resources, started with bats. Uh-huh. Well, uh, uh, so our editorial is how we've actually uh, gone backwards in funding research the USDA in swine and poultry. Uh, we were spending uh, $6 billion a year on swine research uh, before the sequestration. And, uh, you know, we just spent $30 billion in a Chinese trade war bailout. Mm-hmm. But we're spending $6 million on swine research, and these is where, this is where all these pandemics come from, is swine. Uh-huh. And, no, and I've been writing about this for 10 years, and nobody pays attention. What a great— <laughs> Because I'm a little paper in the middle of nowhere. What a great, lo- and, what a great uh, local angle on this story, though. Right. Now, if I sent that story out to some other paper about how we're starving our ag research budgets and that most flus come from swine, if it doesn't have Pete Buttigieg dropped out of the race today, that doesn't play anywhere. Yeah. It it, it just doesn't play. Yeah. The basics of how we got here uh, don't play. There were 50 50 million birds died in a bird flu epidemic five years ago, five million of them right here. Uh, And avian flus can jump to humans. We still don't know what caused that outbreak five years later. Yeah. And there's no, if I did a story about it, nobody would care. Yeah. 
I mean, I guess this is one of these things where you just have to you just have to sort of go with your compass, right? You got to go with what you think right. is right, and whether people click on it or whether you win a Pulitzer for it, um, right? You you can't you can't worry about. It. You just have to do it. Yeah, but it, it, it's frustrating when you see all the resources that are spent on, you know, whether Sarah Palin can see a, a Russia from her back porch. Right, right. And, uh, and then you see that uh, nobody raised an eyebrow over sequestration and what, what, how it was going to affect the CDC or, <laughs> or more important, how it was going to affect poultry research in Georgia and swine research in Ames, Iowa. Right. Uh, which is where all these viruses emanate. I mean, I, I just think this this is also where this sort of roll-up of private equity investment in newspapers is, is going to fall short because they're going to realize that some of the decisions we make about what is news and what needs resources isn't immediately reflected in sort of big audience numbers. And, of course, we're forced to cover Trump and, uh, and, and all his stupid utterances. Uh, so then he controls that news agenda, and he says it's all just a fake, and and our team is doing a great job, even though I fired them all. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, and then so the public believes that he, the, the team's in place and they're doing a great job because we covered it live on MSNBC. Yeah. Uh, when in fact, th- th- there's nothing that's not true. Yeah. Um, Art, it was great to talk to you. Best of luck to everybody at the Storm Lake Times, and it would be it would be great if we could check back as the um, as this campaign sort of winds its way through. Sure, please do. Okay, take care. I've got I've got nothing but time to bullshit. So. <laughs> all right, thank you, Art. Okay. You can follow CGR's continuing coverage of all of this at CGR.org and on our daily email newsletter, The Media Today, which you can also access via our website. Thanks for listening. See you next week. 